0: I don't know how many of the games we played with them in the last however many 15 years or whatever that don't have some consequence to uh, what kind of season you have. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. I'm your host, Greg McElroy. Today is Thursday, November 2nd. 2023 and we hope you're enjoying the show wherever you're consuming the show from whether it's spotify apple Podcasts, or if you're here with us via the espn youtube channel encourage everybody to like hit that thumbs up on the youtube channel you can rate on the podcast wherever you get your podcast subscribe to the podcast as well and if you're on apple Podcasts, leave us a review we read those and we really appreciate the kind words that you guys have shared with us the last few months alongside our Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, and Jake Garcia. We have a massive weekend coming up. We are in November. It's the stretch run, and we're going to have some chaos this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I think we're going to have some upsets. I think we're going to have some teams that are knocked off. I think we're going to have an undefeated or two that will come up a little bit short in this weekend's games. There are playoff implications all over the place. Georgia and Alabama are hosting ranked opponents. We have the last bedlam. Is this USC's last chance? to make a move against the 5th-ranked Washington Huskies. Notre Dame's on the road. Ole Miss has taken on a really tough Texas A&M team. So really, really interesting matchups throughout, and we will break them down in their entirety. So without much further ado, let's dive into some of our weekend previews here on Always College Football. This weekend preview is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Missouri traveling to Georgia. This game is about 16 points on the line or so. It's Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time on CBS. Totals around 56. Okay, a couple things to note in this game. One, Georgia's getting just a little bit healthier. You're going to say, wait, hang on a second. They're without Brock Bowers understandably so, he's still the headliner. That's not changing. Brock Bowers changes the game every time he's on the field, barring some miraculous recovery. I don't anticipate him back until at least next week, potentially even later than that. So Brock Bowers won't be available, but a couple guys that will be, running back Kendall Milton... His bounced back had a little bit of a knee injury against Vanderbilt. Offensive tackle Xavier Truss is back from an ankle injury. Got hurt on the exact same play as Kendall Milton. They also get back Lawson lucky and Pierce Sperlin at tight end to help kind of accommodate Brock Bauer's absence. Then Ladd McConkey coming off of arguably his best game of the year, looking like he's going to be full go from this point forward. That's a huge positive for Georgia. The other thing to account for in this game, if we're going to break it down line by line, here's how Missouri gets a win. Their recipe's rather simple fly under the radar. Unfortunately for Missouri, they haven't done that. They're too good to fly under the radar. I say that a bit tongue in cheek, but every time Georgia's been forced to play their A game so far this year, it's been twice, and granted, both performances coming in the last handful of weeks in the month of October, every time they've been forced to play their A game, they've found it. Second half, South Carolina. The performance that we saw against Kentucky from start to finish. The performance after the first drive that we saw against Florida. If Georgia respects you, you're in trouble. I would imagine, based on how things went last year, Missouri has Georgia's full attention. Here's how Missouri can potentially make it interesting. If you're going to beat Georgia, if you're going to beat a Kirby Smart style defense, or even dating back to the time that he was with Nick Saban in Alabama, if you look at the last 10 years, 15 years of him in college football, it really comes down to whether or not you win your one-on-one matchups. You have to win one-on-one matchups because more often than not, Georgia sits there and looks at the plan defensively and says, well, We have better players. We'll take our chances. Our guy against your guy, I think we're going to win those one-on-one matchups more often than you're going to win them, so we're going to probably win the game. But Missouri does have the weapons to be able to take advantage of some of those one-on-ones in the back end. Luther Burden's second in the SEC and fifth in all of college football with 905 receiving yards this year. He needs to be at his very best. This has to be the best performance of his career if Missouri is going to pull the upset. He's going against elite competition. Luther Burden has aspirations of playing in the NFL. And if I'm an NFL scout, what's the first tape I'm going to pull when evaluating whether or not Luther Burden can transition to the next level? Probably going to be the Georgia tape. He's going to be going against the top-tier guys on the national stage with an opportunity to make a statement. But he cannot do it alone. Georgia will do whatever they have to do to make sure that Luther Burden doesn't exclusively beat them. So what does that mean? Theo Weiss, the number two wide receiver, and Mookie Cooper, the number three wide receiver, they're going to have to make some plays as well. Brady Cook, the quarterback, is going to have to be as accurate as he's ever been, especially on some of the downfield passing attack. And on third down, you know, against Georgia, especially at home, I want you guys to watch this. Watch Georgia when they get into a first and 10 situation at home. They don't do this on the road. Their linebackers, whether it be Dumas Johnson or Smale Munden, they'll walk up to the line of scrimmage and they'll say, move. And you'll see the defensive line shift really quickly. Several times this year, we've seen offensive players flinch as a result of that defensive shift. What does that do? False start on the offense. Now you're in first and 15, and then you're playing from behind the sticks. You can somehow get it back to third and seven, third and eight, and then in comes Georgia's speed. Here comes the speed, guys. And if you're in an obvious passing down against the Georgia Bulldogs, you're in significant trouble. They're going to force the ball out of your quarterback's hands quickly. They do a good job tackling on the back end, and they're probably going to drop you before the sticks. So it's very important for Missouri to stay on schedule. Some teams have had success running the football against Georgia this year. Some of those have been quarterback runs. Brady Cook is capable of that. Obviously, Schrader, the running back, is going to have to be great in this game as well. And it goes without saying, Missouri cannot lose the turnover battle. If they do, they're in big trouble. This is going to be an interesting game, but I really don't see how Missouri can ultimately win at Georgia. Can they keep it close? Can they make it interesting? The answer to both those questions are yes and yes. But can they win? I have a hard time envisioning an outcome like that. A couple trends to account for in this game Georgia has gone over the total in five consecutive games, meaning if trends continue, this is likely to be a high scoring affair. Missouri is 9 and 18 against the spread as a double digit underdog. Since the 2012 season, not a good sign for the Tigers. And they are just 14 of 27 against the spread on the road since the start of the 2015 season. Another bad trend for Missouri. I think Georgia wins this game convincingly and handles their business against what I think is a very good Missouri team. People are going to overreact to the outcome in this one because they're going to say, well, it's just Missouri. It's same old Missouri. Missouri's really good. And if they come up short in this game, it's not going to affect my opinion of them. I still think they are a really improved football team with dangerous playmakers offensively and a solid secondary defensively to make life difficult on the Georgia Bulldogs and the teams that they might see down the stretch. Before we discuss the next two games, I want to talk currently about what's going on in the Big 12. Five teams enter this week tied at the top of the Big 12 standings. There are five teams that are currently four and one. All five of those teams technically control their destiny to reach the Big 12 championship if they win out. However, a logjam should clear up this week with four of those teams meeting between the Longhorns and Kansas State and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Let's start with Bedlam. This is the last one. So let's soak it up. It's the last one on paper. Will they play again in 10 years and point fingers for the next decade? Probably. But let's just enjoy what we have at the moment. First series meeting was in 1904. That was a 75-0 win by Oklahoma. And as you can see, it's kind of been a bit of a one-sided affair in the rivalry. The Sooners all-time in the series are 91-19-7. and 7. This will be the sixth time, dating back to 1999, when Bob Stoops took over as the head coach of Oklahoma, that Oklahoma enters Bedlam coming off of a loss. You're probably wondering, how did Oklahoma fare in the previous five instances? Well, in 2022, they won by 15. In 2009, they won by 27. In 2007, they won by 32. In 2005, they won by 28. In 1999, they won by 37. For those that are not as quick mathematically, we decided to do it for you. (laughs) That is an average margin of victory of nearly four touchdowns, 27.8 points when coming off a loss heading into Bedlam. And Mike Gundy, he's been at the helm of Oklahoma State for quite a while as a head coach. This is his 19th meeting with Oklahoma. He is just three and 15. As an assistant coach, he didn't fare much better, just three, six and one. As an assistant coach and as a player, he was 0-4. That's 6-25-1 with Mike Gundy on the sidelines in some form or fashion for the Pokes. The big matchup in this one is very, very obvious. Ollie Gordon, a running back that a month ago, many of us, self-included, didn't know a whole lot about. But Oklahoma State has found themselves right in the mix for a Big 12 title as a result of Ollie Gordon's presence. He's been a revelation, so to speak. They were thought to be dead in the water, their Oklahoma State was. I know I definitely pushed them to the side, and I regrettably kind of didn't even really think about them when the page turned to October. Back-to-back losses against South Alabama, which was convincing, and Iowa State thinking, Oklahoma State's not going to do much this year, right? Well, Insert Ollie Gordon to become the focal point of the offense. Played a little bit there in that game against the Cyclones, had 121 yards on 18 carries. But since that time, Ollie Gordon has rattled off five straight games over a hundred yards. And in the last two games, he ran for two eighty-two and four touchdowns against West Virginia and two hundred and seventy-one yards and two touchdowns against Cincinnati. He also, if you watch him, He does a really good job of setting up defenders and making guys miss. He's forced a ton of missed tackles. I don't necessarily chart missed tackles. There are publications out there that do. I just look and see whether or not a guy is on the ground and whether or not he had a chance to make a tackle. But I do look at yards after contact. And yards after contact, he has nearly 660 yards after contact. That is number one in college football. 660 yards after contact, number one. Gosh, the last five games, he's been on an absolute tear. And as a result, the Oklahoma State offense has really adjusted to his strengths. And they're going against an Oklahoma defense that has been fine against the run, but not elite. They are 43rd nationally in yards allowed per play. Now, if you look at how Oklahoma fared the first four weeks of the season, they had really shown a lot of growth on that side of the ball, especially when it came to tackling. But last week against Kansas, especially in the first half, it was a huge problem. You look at their performance against UCF, they missed a bunch of tackles in that game, gave up a bunch of yards after contact, which was less than ideal. And then, if you look at their performance against Texas, man, they had to have had 20, 20-plus 20 missed tackles in the performance. And you have to take one other thing into account. Danny Stutzman has been maybe their best defensive player there at the second level. He's a linebacker off the ball, and he's been really, really good. His status at the moment is up in the air which means Jaron Canick, his play needs to be highlighted. And it's been okay. It just hasn't been elite. Now, they do have a second-year player in Kip Lewis who has flashed some, but hasn't gotten extended playing time over the course of the season just yet. So if Stutzman is out and in comes Kip Lewis, that could be something of significance. Another thing to account for in this game. Can Oklahoma State slow down Dylan Gabriel and company. Now, Oklahoma State, while running the ball really well, they are 90th in the FBS in passing yards allowed per game. Now, Oklahoma, they want to find some of those plays downfield. Losing Andrell Anthony for the season against Texas was a significant blow, and their lack of aggressiveness the last couple weeks feels like it's become a bit of a talking point. I would anticipate Oklahoma going back to the drawing board And I would anticipate them thinking of ways to push the ball down the field. That was a huge strength in the first five or six weeks. It has now come back to the mean a little bit the last couple weeks. Now, defenses have adjusted and they deserve credit for that. But they need to find ways to get Jaleel Farouk down the field in one-on-one situations. His frustration was obvious last week when watching the game against Kansas. Even threw his helmet to the turf. After the final play and was really, really upset. Naturally, I can't blame him. But they gotta get Jaleel Farouk going a little bit down the field to complement what Drake Stoops and company are providing on the underneath. Couple of trends to keep into account in this game. Oklahoma State is 18 5 and 1 against the spread against AP ranked teams since the start of the 2018 season. They are a traditional giant killer. Meanwhile, Oklahoma is 13 4 and 1 against the spread against Oklahoma State since the start of the 2005 season. This one is a very difficult one for me to predict. It's very difficult. I'm taking Oklahoma. I look at how they've bounced back in the past in situations similar to this. And while Oklahoma State has done an amazing job in the last few weeks, an amazing job controlling the line of scrimmage and controlling the the tempo of the game, making sure that Ollie Gordon has plenty of space, I think Oklahoma's going to sell out against the run, and while I'm somewhat impressed with the passing attack the Pokes can throw at you, pun intended, I'm not overly impressed. I think Oklahoma can pick off a pass or two and ultimately break this game open. I like the Sooners to get it done in Stillwater in what should be a hotly contested atmosphere there on Saturday afternoon. Another game with significant meaning At the top of the Big 12 standings is Kansas State traveling to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns. Texas, a slight four, four and a half point favorite, total sitting around 51 and a half. This game will be Saturday at noon Eastern on Fox. This game has really come down to the wire in the last seven matchups. Six of the last seven games between these two teams have been decided by seven points or fewer. And Kansas State comes into this game red hot. They are as hot as it gets right now in the Big twelve. They've outscored their last two Big twelve opponents by a combined score of eighty two to three. You heard that right. Eighty two to three. It's the first time Kansas State's won back to back conference games by at least thirty eight points since two thousand two and just the fourteenth fourth time in the AP poll era. A big question in this game was will be which team will be more physical. Kansas State has met the challenge multiple times this season when they are the more physical team. They were much more physical than UCF, but let's be honest. UCF is still in a bit of a transition mode as they get into Power 5 conference play. They failed the test drastically when they went to Stillwater on Friday night, and they recovered just enough to beat up Texas Tech. Now, TCU in Houston in consecutive weeks looks a little bit more like it as far as the physicality that's expected from Chris Kleiman's team. A big key will be Kansas State's rushing attack against Texas's front seven. Now, if you look at what Kansas State has done from a stat standpoint, they're fifth in college football on the ground, averaging 226 yards per game with DJ Giddens and Treshawn Ward. And the Longhorns have been pretty dang good so far against the run. They're number one in the Big 12, allowing just 98 yards per game on the ground. But we already talked about the running back tandem. The quarterback tandem, that's right, I said that correctly. The quarterback tandem has really been interesting. Not often that you see a two-quarterback system working with this level of efficiency. But a few weeks ago, they decided, hey, man, Will Howard and true freshman Avery Johnson... We're going to go with both these guys because they offer different skill sets that complement each other nicely. Well, they've combined for 535 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns on the ground the last three weeks. They're starting to figure things out a little bit. And the mobile quarterbacks have given Texas some problems this year. If you take out the sack yardage, because sack yardage, it shouldn't count towards rushing yardage production. So if you eliminate just the sack yardage, The Longhorns have allowed 330 rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks this season. That's the fourth most in the Big 12. They've allowed 24 10-yard runs, and 11 of those have been by the opposing quarterback. So a mobile quarterback in this situation, whether it's the freshman Avery Johnson or Will Howard, anticipate those guys being able to churn out a little bit of yardage with their legs. Texas has had some issues this year in the red zone as well. That's been a hot topic of debate. That's been a lot of discussion. A lot of discussion surrounding Texas's offense's mediocrity when they get inside the 20 of the opposing team. They are currently 101st in the FBS in a red zone scoring percentage. They're scoring just 78.8% of the time. 26 scores on 33 attempts. However, if you go just a little bit further, what's most concerning is that of those 26 scores, only 16 have been touchdowns. Meaning that 16 touchdowns, 10 field goals, that red zone touchdown success is 48.8%, which is good for 120th in college football. Now, their top two yardage outputs offensively this year against both Kansas and Oklahoma, they scored 40 points and 30 points respectively. Pretty good days at the office. But if you look at the games that saw their least amount of yards offensively, 316 against Wyoming and 354 against BYU, Sark's team scored just 31 points and 35 points. But you got to take into account that red zone is just not good enough, especially against BYU, just two of five in the red zone. That's not going to be good, especially when you're 0 for 3 on first and goal scenarios. Malik Murphy will be another topic of debate heading into this game. Now, They tried to get him into a bit of a rhythm last week. They called passes on nine of the first 10 offensive plays, including a lateral, which means they're trying to kind of jumpstart his confidence and and getting him on the same page and getting him into the game earlier, the better. But he became very, very human last week. Like, Like most young quarterbacks, when he got pressure, he didn't handle it very well. Now, he wasn't pressured often. Just seven of his 29 dropbacks resulted in pressure. But those seven plays in which he was pressured, he was just two of six with a pick. So can Kansas State ramp up the pressure a little bit and make the young quarterback feel it? Because when he wasn't under arrest last week, he threw a couple touchdown passes and was relatively efficient. And Kansas State's defense, they haven't been great pressuring the opposing quarterback this year. Just 31%... Of the opposing quarterback's dropbacks, they felt pressure. But when they send a blitz, they more often than not will ramp it up. They can bring pressure on blitzes 56% of the time, which is 12th in college football. So when just rushing four, not great, 103rd in the FBS. But when they overload with five or more, they're 12th in the FBS. So expect a bunch of pressure being called from Kansas State to try to make Malik Murphy make a mistake. I look at Texas in this game, and I think it's a bad matchup for Kansas State. Texas is going to be stout against the run. Texas has good enough perimeter skill defensively to match up with what I think is an underwhelming group of Kansas State wide receivers. Texas has traditionally fared pretty well in this matchup. They've covered each of the last three meetings against Kansas State. I think it's the best version of Texas that we've seen in the last four four years, and I'm not yet... 100% sold is the best edition of Kansas state that I've seen. I think Texas wins the game comfortably seven or more, probably closer to 10 in favor of the Longhorns. Mmm, you smell that? That's the scent of fresh turf and freshly cracked Dr. Pepper, which can only mean one thing. It's college football season, so block off your Saturdays and swipe a sweet Dr. Pepper from the mini-fridge because there's a new season of high kicks, long throws, and Fansville commercial breaks to carry you all the way to the West Coast games. That's right, the fans are back, and this year things are heating up. We're talking about hot takes, more heartbreak, more layers of face paint. Get ready to drink in all the drama this season with the help of the most delicious college football tradition there is, Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. The next collection of games, there's four of them that we're going to break down, all of which have a three-point spread or thereabouts. So we figured we'd kind of group these together and let the chips fall where they may. Texas A&M travels to Oxford, Mississippi. This will be Saturday at noon Eastern on ESPN. I had to remind myself of this because last year feels so long ago, doesn't it? I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't even remember what I had for lunch today. And I, it's because I haven't eaten lunch. But I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. I can assure you of that. But looking at what Ole Miss did down the stretch. Now, they're sitting pretty right now, right? They're sitting real pretty. The college football playoff committee has acknowledged what Ole Miss has done to this point, and rightfully so. But if we rewind to last year, Ole Miss was number 11 in the college football playoff committee rankings, sitting there at 8-1. and one. And then Alabama came to town. They proceeded to lose to Bama and then drop their next three games to finish the season 8-5. and five. That's acknowledgeable Because what do you think Lane Kiffin and company have harped on all off season? Finish. November has to be better. We have to finish. We have to finish. Because losing their last four last year was a difficult thing to wrap your head around. And Ole Miss was sitting exactly where they're sitting right now and failed to do what they needed to do down the stretch to put together a really nice season. The good news is Ole Miss has really played well at home. They've won 19 of their last 21 games at Vaught-Hemingway, and Texas A&M has lost eight straight road games. That's the fourth longest active streak in the FBS. And you don't want to be in a group with these three teams. Northwestern has the most consecutive road losses with 14. Temple has the second most at 12. And Hawaii, away from the island, they've lost 10 in a row. So the fact that A&M is in that contingent is a little concerning. The big question in this one, can Ole Miss continue creating explosive plays? They have 96 explosive plays this season. That's 20-plus yard passes or 10-plus yard runs. That's the fifth most in college football. a and has not allowed very many. They've allowed just 55 explosive plays. That's tied for the fourth fewest in the SEC. Big question in this one, like it is every week. When AM is on the field. Can AM's defensive line affect Jackson Dart? When Jackson Dart feels pressure, he becomes a lot more human. But Jackson Dart, I think, has done a better job um limiting the catastrophic mistakes. He understands where his weapons are. He's got really good skill on the perimeter, and the resurgence of Quinshawn Judkins the last couple weeks has been encouraging. They've run the ball a little better the last couple weeks. I would not anticipate a real strong output from the run game if you're the Rebels going against the front seven of Texas A&M. But I do think Texas A&M is very gettable on the perimeter. It's going to be about creating explosive plays through the air and Trey Harris and company win some of those one-on-one battles down the field against A&M's corners. If they can, they'll win the game. If they can't, then A&M has a real chance of creating some problems for Ole Miss. I also look at A&M's offense. A lot of people are saying, you know, Ole Miss's defense isn't very good. They're not very improved. I would actually slightly disagree. Now, while they're not super elite on that side of the ball, I do think they're improved. And it will be interesting because if you look at Max Johnson, Max Johnson, the quarterback for Texas A&M, it feels like all the time he's moving backwards in the pocket. feels like he's drifting backwards. feels like he's constantly throwing off of his back foot. We saw it against Alabama. We saw it against Tennessee. We've seen it at other times when he's been thrust to the lineup even last year and the year before. If he starts retreating because of the pass rush from Ole Miss, that is not a good recipe for success for Texas A&M. He's got to stay strong in the pocket. He's got to throw with command. He's got to throw with accuracy. And he's got to make great decisions with the football because he also has made some significant mistakes, which has put his team behind the eight ball ball multiple times in the last few weeks. I look at this game, I think it's a really difficult one to pinpoint. So I'll reference the trends. Seven of the last eight meetings with Texas A&M and Ole Miss have gone under the total. Total sitting in the mid 50s. So the trends would expect a lower scoring ball game. But Ole Miss is five and one against the spread as a favorite this year, I think Ole Miss gets it done. They just have a little bit more explosiveness offensively. And while I think Texas A&M's front seven defensively can cause some problems, I think Ole Miss's wide receivers can win those battles in contested catch situations, which will ultimately give the win to the Rebels to set up what should be an amazing game next week against the Georgia Bulldogs. Also at noon, this one's on ABC. Excited to be on the call for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame traveling to Clemson. couple things to account for in this game. One, I think these teams are really similar. Just saying, I think these teams are really similar. And you're going to say, wait, hang on a second. How can you possibly say that? Let me just explain, okay? And I know you're probably looking to me like I have three heads, and I totally get that. But while you look at Notre Dame's point totals the last few weeks. They've been very impressive, right? They've, they absolutely destroyed Pitt. They had a big, big number put up against USC, 48 points scored in that game. I look at Notre Dame's offense, and right now, just lacking a little bit of consistency. Now, Audric Estime last week against Pitt probably ran the ball better than he had in several weeks. He got a bunch of carries. They're not using as much of a running back by committee approach. It does feel like down the stretch, it's going to be estimate show, and it probably should be. You can get the young backs, Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love, get them five or six touches in the game, and then you get Jabron Payne in there for short yardage situations, and you'll be in good shape, but it's got to run through Audric Estime. Notre Dame's wide receivers have been disappointing. And now you take it one step further, they will be without the services of Mitchell Evans. And this is a significant loss. If you look at their distribution chart this year, especially on third down, Mitchell Evans is without question the most reliable and most targeted receiver, pass catcher, I shouldn't say receiver, pass catcher for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And this is a group that prior to last week against Pitt They've struggled to be consistent pushing the ball down the field. What does this kind of sound like? It sounds a little bit like Clemson. Now, the one thing Notre Dame hasn't done is they haven't really beaten themselves with turnovers. That's been the story for Clemson up to this point. They have won the turnover battle just twice this year. Both wins were convincing. One was against Syracuse. The other was against FAU. They were plus three against FAU, plus two against Syracuse. They have lost the turnover margin in all other games. Six games in which they were minus one or worse in the turnover margin. And if you look at when some of those fumbles have occurred, they've occurred in the red zone, specifically inside the 10-yard line of the opposing defense. That can't happen against Notre Dame. It cannot happen against Notre Dame. Clemson has had an underwhelming wide receiver performance so far this year. Now, Bo Collins, it appears like he's becoming a little bit more of a feature guy. Jake Brenningstool, the tight end, he's become more of a feature guy. They've tried to get Tyler Brown in there some, but they've had a couple hamstring issues. and They've had some guys that have been in and out of the lineup. But collectively, just like Notre Dame, the receivers have not played up to their standard. Cade Klubnik, doesn't appear at the moment like he's as confident as he needs to be. He's got great physical ability. He's great when it comes to running around and creating opportunities. But he does have the occasional miss that is significant. And some of those misses last week resulted in either missed big plays, but also an interception where he airmails it to stool on an over route. And it's picked off by the safety that's in coverage. These two teams mirror each other. Also, not because of the underwhelming receiver play, but because they are really made along the defensive line. The strength of both teams. Both teams is along the defensive line. Notre Dame does have an advantage with their defensive line against Clemson's offensive line. Now, Clemson's tinkered with a couple of spots. They've moved their left tackle to right guard. They try to get their best five on the field. But Notre Dame's defensive line has been every bit as advertised this year and in some ways better than even I anticipated coming into the season. That group can take over the game. Conversely, Notre Dame's offensive line has been very good, very solid. Anchored by Joe Alt at left tackle, they'll have their hands full against the Clemson defensive line that while the rest of the defense maybe has had some ups and downs, the defensive line has been outstanding. The linebackers have been very solid. And in coverage, they've been pretty solid as well. These are two teams that love to get it done on the defensive side of the football. But if Clemson can avoid the critical mistake, this game should be one that goes down to the wire. I'm obviously not going to pick it being on the call. It's going to be a blast to be there. I can't wait to be there for Notre Dame and Clemson. But a couple of trends to take into account in this game. Clemson is 0-4 against the spread uh, against teams with winning records this season and Notre Dame is 11 and 4 against the spread on the roads at the start of the 2020 season. So a couple of trends to take into account, but I think this one's going to be a photo finish and one that should be decided in the fourth quarter. Two teams that are very different will be taking the field in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Number 13 LSU sitting there in a really good spot, 14 I think in the college football playoff committee rankings against number 8 Alabama. Currently Alabama 3 point favorite. This game will be Saturday at 7:45 Eastern time on CBS. A couple of things to account for with LSU as far as their injuries are concerned. They've had a really tough stretch defensively with some guys that are likely not going to be available. They've lost Zay Alexander, Denver Harris, and Deuce Chestnut all in the back end. Those guys all play corner and they'll be without all three against the Crimson Tide. They're also without the defensive tackle Makai Wingo who is probably, I don't want to say he's their best defensive player, but he's probably among their most productive players there in the front seven defensively. Now, are those injuries going to be a huge factor in the game? I don't know. It probably depends on how Jaden Daniels plays. Now, if he wins this week, he'll become the first starting quarterback with multiple wins against Nick Saban while at Alabama. Be the first starting quarterback with multiple wins against Nick Saban since so Jason Campbell did so in 2002 and 2004. That was when Nick Saban was at LSU and become the first starting quarterback wins against Nick Saban in consecutive years since Rex Grossman did it in 2000 and 2001. Now, this is going to be very, very interesting because Alabama is excellent in the back end. Their biggest performance to date, though, against quality wide receivers was against Texas. And their secondary did not play well in that game whatsoever. I think Texas wide receivers are elite. I think you can make a case that LSU's receivers are just as elite, if not more so in some ways. Malik Neighbors currently leads the FBS with 981 receiving yards this year. Brian Thomas and uh, Brian Thomas is tied with, with Jamoy Macklin of North Texas for first in the FBS with 11 receiving touchdowns with 19 receiving yards, neighbors will join Josh Reed as the only LSU players, with multiple thousand yard receivers. So he is off to a ridiculous start. And if he against Kool-Aid McKinstry isn't at the top of the NFL scouts evaluation tape this weekend, I'm not sure what else is. That's going to be an incredible matchup between an elite cover corner and a receiver that can move into the slot, that can play to the outside, that can operate off play action down the field, that could do some things in the catch and run. Another question in this game, can LSU get after the quarterback? It's been documented already this year that Alabama quarterbacks, not just Jalen Milroe, have been sacked 35 times this season. That's the most in the SEC through eight games since Kentucky in 1999. The LSU defense, however, only has 14 sacks this year. That's the second fewest in the SEC. So while we talked so much about LSU's pass rush in the preseason, LSU's dangerous there and they have such, they have guys that can just completely take over the game. It hasn't really materialized with sack production. So can they get home against an offensive line that has improved greatly the last few weeks? That's a significant question. This is going to come down to what is the tempo of the game? Which team decides how the game is going to be played? Now, if it becomes a track meet and it's a -a score-a-thon and the first team to 40 wins, then that's LSU-style game. They will have a significant advantage if that's the way it plays out. If it becomes a little bit more ball control, if it becomes a little bit more methodical, becomes a little bit slower, that is a major advantage in favor of Alabama. If I'm Alabama, here's what I do. I want to pound the football. I want to have slow five six, seven-minute drives. And then if I can rock those safeties for LSU to sleep, I'll take my chances in one-on-one. We've already referenced the fact that LSU is without three of their top corners. That means Jermaine Burton has to have a performance comparable to the way he played against Texas A&M. If he can go off on some big plays down the field, that's a huge advantage for the Crimson Tide. A couple of trends to take into account this game. LSU has gone over the total in 12 consecutive games dating back to last year. That's the longest active overstreak in the FBS. And Alabama is 16-6-1 against the spread as a home favorite since the start of the 2020 season. Everybody seems to be favoring LSU in this situation. Understandable. People get very enamored with offensive firepower. I think Alabama wins the game. I think they'll be able to slow the game down. And while it has looked in recent weeks like LSU has grown drastically on defense, yes, they looked better the last two outings on that side of the ball. But those last two outings have come against Army, which is very different from what they're going to see this weekend, and against Auburn. Very different from what you're going to see this weekend. I I don't think either one of those teams have offense that's anywhere near as capable as what Alabama can do. So I think Alabama gets the job done. And I actually think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring, meaning that total streak for LSU going over the total in 12 consecutive games, I think that comes to a screeching halt. I think this game stays low scoring. I think Alabama gets it done 28-24 there in Bryant-Denny. And then, number five, Washington, undefeated at the USC Trojans. This will be Saturday, 7.30 Eastern time on ABC. couple things to account for in this game. LSU is looking to beat... Excuse me, LSU. We got LSU on my mind, don't I? USC is looking to beat a top five team for the first time since the 2017 Rose Bowl against Penn State. That was the 2016 season. I was there at that game. It was one of the greatest Rose Bowl games I've ever seen in my life. And amazingly enough... The Trojans are 46 40 and 1 all time against AP top five teams. They're the only team with a winning record versus AP top five teams. The only one. The only one. It's really amazing. Turnovers will be a huge factor in this game. And the Huskies, they have not played well the last two games against Arizona State and Stanford, both of which have a 2 and 6 record. And turnovers have been a big reason why those games have come down to the wire. They have had six turnovers the last two outings. And last year, that was USC's calling card on defense. They weren't great statistically, but they were great when it came to forcing turnovers. They were sixth in the FBS in forcing 28 turnovers. That was last year. This year, they're tied for 36 with 13 so far. So I think it could be a game that's decided by a mistake made or two by either side. USC's offense is remarkably dynamic. uh, Zachariah Branch, Is ridiculous, guys. Absolutely ridiculous. Every time you watch him, the speed that's on display is on another level. There's just some guys, when you watch them on tape, there's a handful in college football this year. They just look different. Zachariah Branch is that guy. But not to be overshadowed, Taj Washington is averaging 20 yards per catch. That's the eighth best in college football. I mentioned Zachariah Branch a moment ago. He averages nine yards after the catch per reception. That's insane. He also is a dynamic playmaker on special teams with a touchdown on punt and kick return this year. So special teams will be important in this one as well. But Taj Washington is the most dependable of the USC wide receivers. He's yet to drop a pass this year and is the only FBS player this season with at least 700 receiving yards and no drops. Can Washington take some of the pressure off their defense by finding just a little bit of balance? It's not been their calling card up to this point. They're throwing it nearly two-thirds of the time. And that, I don't think, is a recipe that they want to continue against a USC defense that has had a very difficult time stopping the run this year. Big plays are also going to be a huge factor in this game. USC is second in college football with 63 plays that have gone 20-plus yards and Washington's third with 56 plays that have gone 20-plus yards. A huge matchup in the game is Michael Penix against Washington's, and Washington's weapons against USC's secondary. Now, if you look at What Pennix has done up to this point, throwing the ball down the field, it's absurd. But USC has given up a ton of completions on passes that travel more than 20 yards downfield. They've given up 21 completions. That's the fourth most in the FBS. Opposing teams are completing 48% of their deep balls against the Trojan defense. That's the seventh highest in the FBS. They are 126th. 126 to giving up 48%. And this is not the get-right recipe with these weapons on the perimeter. Roma Dunze, off the charts good. Jalen Polk, off the charts good. They're the only duo in the FBS that rank in the top 15 in receiving yards. And both have also been among the best deep threats. All right, They each have nine catches on passes that are traveling 20-plus yards downfield. They're both tied for third in the FBS. They also make a ton of contested catches which is something to take into account as well. And Jalen McMillan's missed the last three games due to injury, has not caught a pass since Michigan State. He played against Stanford initially, but seemingly reactivated his knee injury. I've not heard an update on his status heading into this one. So if he gets back then the rich, get richer for Washington. Big question is whether or not USC can apply pressure to Michael Penix. He becomes much more human under pressure than he does when he has a clean pocket. Under pressure, he's completing just 47% of his passes with one touchdown and one interception. With no pressure, 76% of his passes, 23 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Now, teams have started to kind of blitz him a little bit more the last couple weeks. He was only blitzed 21% of the time in the first 5 games, but since the Oregon game, he's been blitzed nearly 40% of the time. So people are starting to do that as well, and the guys that will be applying pressure for USC's defense are legit. Bear Alexander's the Georgia transfer. He's the real deal there in the middle of the defense. They have an edge rusher in Jamil Muhammad that has a really good job off the edge, also has six sacks. So he really is going to be important for them as well. A couple of the trends in the game. USC has failed to cover in six consecutive games. It's tied for the longest active cover losing streak in the FBS. USC has gone over the total in each of their last seven games against AP ranked teams to start of last season. And the over under of 76 and a half will be the highest in any FBS game this season. I think it's going to be high scoring. And I'm taking the USC Trojans to pull off the upset here at home against the Washington Huskies. It feels like Washington's kind of limping into this one, not playing their best football. Meanwhile, everyone's writing USC off. USC's been left for dead by many, not by me. I think they get the do- get the job done and surprise the college football world by pulling off a stunner against the top 5 ranked Washington Huskies. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Introducing the AT&T 5G helmet, the world's first football helmet designed to level the playing field for deaf and hard of hearing players. Radio communication continues to be the primary way professional football coaches and players communicate during the game. But if the highest level of football requires athletes to hear, it presents a significant gap for athletes that cannot. This discovery created an opportunity to apply the power of AT&T's 5G technology to make sports more inclusive. AT&T is a staple of college sports, always exploring ways to use the expertise in connectivity to advance the way coaches, athletes, and fans experience the game. Our collaboration led to the first ever 5G connected helmet. It sends the coach's play call from the device on the sidelines directly to a visual display lens on the helmet, meaning it does not rely on sound or hearing to communicate. So for the first time ever, these players can always get the same information from their coach as their hearing counterparts. The AT&T 5G Helmet. AT&T connecting changes everything. Learn more at at slash 5G Helmet. Helmet is not for sale. AT&T is a proud supporter of the Gallaudet Bison. Few games that look like it's going to be a little one-sided, but we figured we'd dive just a little bit deeper. Ohio State heads to Rutgers be Saturday at noon Eastern time. All eyes will be centered on Marvin Harrison, who will go up against a Rutgers defense that's doing a really good job against opposing passing offenses. Right now, Rutgers is allowing just 5.2 yards per pass attempt. That's the third best in the FBS. Shockingly, Ohio State actually leads the country in that category, but they've done a really good job of eliminating the deep ball. Right now, teams that are trying to push the ball down the field are just 5 of 32 on passes that travel more than 20 yards downfield. Those five completions are tied for the 6th fewest in the FBS. So can Marvin Harrison get loose down the field? But as we know, he's done so much on shallow cross routes, run after catch situations. I think he'll get his for sure. And Ohio State, while I think this game has a chance to be a little bit uncomfortable they should win the game convincingly. I'd take the points, though, especially with Rutgers 7-1 against the spread following a bye week since the start of the 2015 season. Meanwhile, Ohio State just 2-7-1 against the spread in their last 10 games as a road favorite. Number four, Florida State heads to Pitt. This will be Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time on ESPN. Florida State clinches a spot in the ACC championship game with a win at Pitt. They haven't played in the ACC championship game since 20. 20- 14 that of course was their only appearance in the college football playoff as well. Pitt's just two and 6 this season. They haven't been five games under 500 at any point in the last 25 years. You heard that right. And everything about Narduzzi after the game, kind of calling out his players and his players responding on Twitter, I don't like the setup for Pitt. This is the last stand, but Florida State when they're on their A game, I think it's going to be very hard for Kit for Pitt to close the gap. Pitt has failed to cover in each of their last three games as a double-digit underdog, and Florida State's 5-1 and against the spread on the road since the start of last season. Number 10, Penn State, who's about a nine-point favorite or so on the road at Maryland. This will be Saturday at 3.30 Eastern time. Penn State is 6-0 against the spread as a road favorite since the start of last season, and Penn State has covered six of the last seven meetings with Maryland. All I'm saying here is be careful. Be careful, Penn State. Now, this game will be decided in the first quarter. You're going to say, what? Really? I think if Maryland start fast, it's a four-quarter game. If Penn State starts fast, it'll be over by halftime. Simple as that. Maryland's a little bit of a front-running group. If their receivers can create some opportunities against Penn State's secondary, create some big plays, and all of a sudden they get out and have an early lead, they're going to go the distance. But if Penn State comes out, takes the ball, goes right down the field and scores, this thing will get sideways in a hurry. I think this game will stay really close. I think Maryland will have their best performance of the year at home. And know what Penn State has lying in the weeds next week against Michigan at home. A lot of people probably already talking about that game. I have friends hit me up for tickets to that game. I think this game could be a little bit dicey for Penn State. You might want to stay posted just a little bit later for our giant killer segment. This one might make an appearance. And then UCLA, a slight favorite on the road against Arizona. This will be Saturday at 10.30 Eastern time. A really fun matchup of styles. Now, UCLA, one of the best defenses in the entire country, and the top defense in the Pac-12. And if you look at what Arizona's done offensively, they've really kind of turned the corner the last few weeks. Now, against UCLA... You have to be able to protect. Their front seven is absurd. I mean, they can really get after the opposing quarterback, and we know that. But Arizona does a pretty dang good job in pass protection. They also have some skill players on the perimeter that can take advantage of a UCLA secondary that's really, really good. Now, I've liked what I've seen a little bit from the Bruins offensively, now with Ethan Garbers under center. But Arizona's playing really well right now, and their defense is a handful there in the middle as well. I think Arizona might pull off the upset. They've been trendy for everybody. I'll continue to ride that train. And looking at the trends, Arizona's 5-0 and against the spread as an underdog this season. UCLA is 7-1 against the spread as a road favorite since the start of the 21 season. Each of the last four meetings between Arizona and UCLA have gone under the total. I expect it to be low scoring. I expect it to be a grinded-out type of fair I like Arizona to pull off the upset against UCLA at home to punch their ticket to bowl eligibility for the first time under Jed Fish. A couple more games to account for here on the slate. What is a terrific Saturday slate of college football? Virginia Tech travels to Louisville. This will be Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time on the ACC network. A couple trends in this one. Virginia Tech is 4-0 against the spread in the ACC this season. Louisville's 4-0 against the spread at home this season. I like Louisville to take care of business in this game. Virginia Tech has come in really hot. They've been great at home since making the switch at quarterback. They've been a different team, but I've been so impressed with what I've seen from Louisville this season. If they can just keep a clean sheet offensively and make sure Jack Plummer doesn't turn the ball over, they should be in really good shape to control the home field, get the crowd behind them, and handle their business against Virginia Tech to keep what's been a terrific season going. Kansas heads to Iowa State. This will be Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. Iowa State is covered in three consecutive games, and Kansas is 0-3 against the spread on the road this season. Will be a great indicator of where the program's at for Kansas. Can they handle the success and the excitement of last last week's victory against Oklahoma and carry over some of that momentum? Or will they be flat going to Ames to take on an Iowa State team that's improved drastically, these last couple of weeks, I like Iowa State to take care of business at home and a knockoff Kansas who maybe comes back to earth just a little bit after the performance last week. And then Miami traveling to NC State. NC State fresh off a nice victory against the Clemson Tigers. It was a great performance. Really, though, when you look at their offensive output in that game, they really only had two plays in the game, a 50 yard Reverse run by KC Concepcion. And then they hit a slant against cover zero. Defender misses the tackle and they were out the gate. They had 202 yards offensively and 122 of them came on two plays. That is not sustainable. I think Miami's defense is real and will take advantage of NC State. They get the win on the road against NC State. And a couple giant killers. We give you these every week. Last week, our giant killers, they were four and one against the spread and two won outright. Cal was one of them, almost one outright, but we did get two home with Northwestern and with the Kansas Jayhawks. This week, a little bit more difficult, and like we said, we're not picking these necessarily. You got my picks on a couple already, but these are teams that have a real chance to pull off an upset this weekend, and the teams that they're playing against need to be really, really careful. I already picked the USC Trojans against Washington. They are giant killer number one. The Clemson Tigers backed into a corner. Everyone writing off Clemson. Notre Dame needs to be really careful when they travel to Death Valley. That game will be noon Eastern time on ABC. Can't wait to be on the call. Like I said, not picking it, but I think this is a spot where Notre Dame needs to be very careful. And that one could come down to the wire. And then finally, Maryland hosting the Penn State Nittany Lions. Talked about it a little bit already. This game will be decided with how Maryland starts. If Maryland starts fast and plays well in the first half, expect it to go the distance. But if Penn State comes out and imposes their will early and kills Maryland's early momentum, then it could get out of hand in favor of the Nittany Lions. But those are the three teams that need to be very careful this weekend when traveling on the road against capable competition. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. We appreciate you guys so much for everything you've done for us. Continue to like. Rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just leave us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We read those and we appreciate that very, very much. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.